Hello and welcome to episode 25 of the MDDDS podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kyle Fagala, and I'm excited to have Dr. Grant Dasher with us tonight. Grant's been able to be with us a few times, and Grant is a fabulous teacher, and he's going to be talking on another apologetics lesson. This is going to be looking at faith and science, and so I think most people would kind of presume that faith and science are in conflict or they're at war with one another. But we're going to talk about tonight is how actually faith and science over history have really worked together in concert. And I think as it pertains to today, I really don't think they're in as much conflict as we might think. Obviously, as people of science, as medical and dental students, and as doctors of different types, this is a really important topic. And I think it's one that's a great gateway into conversations with other medical professionals and dental professionals that we may know and come into contact with. So I don't want to take much more time from Grant. Grant will do an awesome job, like I said. So let's go to Grant right now. Um, you're going you're gonna to laugh. You're going to cry. Um, no, you're going to do none of that. Um, we're good. We're good. So um, I taught this, this lesson a few months ago at church. And um, it was just a, a couple days after my eighth grade uh, science teacher uh, passed away unexpectedly. And uh, at the time, I thought it was kind of it was sort of ironic that I was teaching on this this uh, topic of faith and science um, right after she had died, because um, she was this this very like super passionate, uh, straightforward Catholic woman. I think she would every once in a while let a cuss word slip up in class. Um, so just picture this like super devout Catholic woman, like good heart, but like tough as nails. And, um, and she probably had more influence on my interest in how the universe works, how the world works, how our bodies work than almost any other person I've known. So, um, I remember as a as a young man in her class dissecting uh, fetal pigs, and that that smell you, you guys know that smell. Um, and uh, it's funny. The other day we had a bad leak at our at our dental office, and the and they like cleaned the carpets, and it smelled like gross lab. And I was like, I was like, I didn't know whether I like hated it or liked it. It was it was weird. Um, but I just remember dissecting those fetal pigs, and I remember this just this great sense of like wonder and excitement like it was so fun to cut open a dead animal for some reason i don't know that's maybe it makes me sadistic and weird but um but I, I i loved it and she was like this larger than life person that was like exposing us to, to all these things so um have y'all eaten at porcelino's on brookhaven circle uh, it's like a, it's like there's like a butcher shop inside Porcelino's coffee and, and like um, breakfast and stuff like that, uh, but they have a butcher shop inside. And um, our family recently, a few months ago, was was eating breakfast there, and we got to witness a pig be butchered, and like they decapitate this pig, and literally they're like twisting the pig's head off, and like we're watching this as we're <laughs> as we're eating breakfast. Um, yes, it was it was wonderful. Um, I think it's fair to say that my seven year old daughter Van doesn't share the same wonder uh, that I had as an eighth grade boy watching this this pig be like you know just cut open. Um, 
she had just ordered a, ordered a side of bacon, so that may have had something to do with it. I don't know, um, but it was we you know we we kept eating. We were fine, um, and she kept eating, <laughs> even though she was pretending to not like it. Uh, my son, however, was like, "Well, he's three, and he was like he was like loving it. It was so funny to see the difference between the two of them because she's very like serious and like and like just very you know like everything's you know." all together and then my son he's probably more like me he's like yeah that's awesome you know and so um going back to pickers what what she cultivated in us was just a general desire to know more about the world around us which was um which was awesome you know i think back to her and i i um i'm so appreciative of that um so in eighth grade, so any curiosity that we had, she would she would just totally encourage. In eighth grade, for me, science was exciting. I had no clue that there was this um, war between science and faith, supposedly. So when I got the news that she had died, the first thing that came to my mind, it, it wasn't science, ironically. It was faith. And I think that's because at our deathbeds, there are there are questions that matter a lot more than science and, and the, the 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 question of faith um was was what came to my mind long before science and she was my science teacher right all you know that my all of my interactions with her with her were, were all about science that wasn't the first thing that came to mind when she died so that being said miss vickers was a lover of science and Jesus and cussing not the real bad ones but she would say they're the ones that weren't weren't quite as bad um, but I, I guess nobody had told Miss Vickers that 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 science and religion were at war with with one another so is that true our Christianity is religion uh, or our religion and, and science at war so let's just discuss that for just just a second um, do science and Christianity conflict? So lots of caveats, right? So what do you, there certainly are types of Christianity. There's ways to read Genesis 1 through 3 that I think would make it tough to kind of hold the modern scientific. Hold on, you're, you're getting way ahead of me, David. Way ahead of me. This is just, this is just a basic off the... <laughs> Off the top of your head, you're getting way too deep here, man. Come on, come on, man. Off the top of your head, what would you say if you were just to say off the top of your head? Not, not maybe not you, someone else. My, so my gut reaction to that is like, like yes, like, they, yes. There's conflicting things. Yes, because if you talk, you're going to ruin my whole lesson. So you know, you're, <laughs> that's the question you were. Asking. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know it was a good question. I'm like setting something up. I'm setting something up here, and I could see you destroying it. <laughs> So just hold on for a second. Just hold on. Hold on. Okay. Someone who, someone else who just uh, uh, go ahead off the top of your head. Yeah. I think your gut reaction to that is like, you know, like the, all the smartest scientists or whatever, like they would say like, oh, like you just feel whether that's true or not, that'd be like the feeling that you would have about that. Okay. Anybody else? That's perfect. Thank you. You did great. Yeah. I feel like a lot of times <laughs> Even though, like, you know, if you mix the two, it works, it can work. A lot of people, I think, mm. 
Are you trying to Are you trying to teach the lesson? Is that what you're trying to do? No, that's perfect. No, that's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, I think like, uh, but yeah, there is this idea that that one is about you know these objective things and one's about these non-objective things. That's that kind of perception. Anybody else? I think most people avoid. I don't. I don't. I don't think I'm gonna get accused of messing this up. So I, I don't mean to say. Just tell me what we say. It, um, the best thing you can do when you want to have open discussion is ridicule everyone <laughs> when they give an answer. That's the best thing. Yeah, that's right. Okay. That's right. Uh, I think most people would say that yes, there's conflict, and I think most people avoid by thinking of those two things separately. So they kind of segregate in their mind science and faith. Mm. And so I think you know, even like a science teacher that that's Catholic or that goes to church or whatever would would almost think of them differently, you know. Yeah. So I think when they're at church, they're not thinking about some of those questions of science and vice versa. Yep. Yep. And church doesn't really like to talk about it, so no. I think that kind of exacerbates the problem. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nancy Pierce she calls that the sacred secular divide, and like uh, how many churches have like very willingly gone into that little cocoon of like this is my secular world and then this is the sacred world and the two are are separate and and her whole you know her whole thing is like you know that you can't it's all together right but yeah a lot of churches have like willingly gone there anybody else does do, do christianity and science conflict I'm going to go, to go to the next question, which some of you have kind of already answered this, but if so, where does this idea come from? David, maybe this would be a question that you could answer. <laughs> no, no, I'm good. No, you're good now. You're fine now. You're good now. David's done. If I mess it up, Anna will come. That's right. She will. She will. David's going to I'll get just like assumptions that people make about what science says based on like just like an like I'm not a science person I Yeah, if you don't know much about the sci- about science or the Bible, that's a bad combination, right? Yeah. <laughs> like knowing something about at least one of them is good, but yeah. like if you don't know anything but, about either. And, and I think, though, I mean, the point, though, is that, it, it, is that it's sad that our world is in this situation where we want to have these like, strong opinions about things, but we're not doing what we need to to actually like seek out truth you mm. know, for ourselves. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I would... Maybe this is anecdotal, but I feel like following Christianity is, is just kind of difficult. And so then to add that layer of not only do you have to you know love your enemy, you've got to have this knowledge of science and how it mm. interacts with faith. Uh, it's just difficult in uh, that multi-faceted aspect of it requires you to put in some work um, mm. and people are 
more prone to work on like loving each other and mm. community and being together and so the less fun part yeah well I'm going to come back to this at the end of the lesson but like if we man if we love people and we care about people we have to we have to at least understand what their objections to the gospel are and like the objection to the, the objections to the gospel in the 21st century are pretty complex right it is hard it, it's a, it, it requires it does require a lot of a lot of effort on our part that maybe maybe 50 60 100 years ago didn't exist for the general population most of that's probably due to the internet like people just know a lot more they have a lot we have access to a lot more information now Anybody else? If so, where where does this idea come from that Christianity and science conflict? I mean, I, I glanced through your notes, but I, you know, <laughs> so uh, no. What I would say, without knowing where you're heading with that, is I, I think that probably the average person would say that it's the church's fault. They would say that the church, they you know, pro- persecuted certain scientists that were historical figures, and that um, you know, you look at like the '50s and '60s, and you know. Churches through through political you know vehicles like ensuring that prayer was in there and that textbooks were a certain way and I, I think it gave people of science like sort of a, a minority sort of position in the political landscape and so I think there's this sort of like desire to sort of revolt against that mm. that it, it's sort of like I think it's somewhat at the heart of like a like a scientist or a secularist so I. I think though now we're sort of in a place where maybe the tides have turned and now it's sort of science is sort of against religion in a way. But you have people that are like, I, we were at, at Harding and there's like this, um, what do you call like an antiquities museum that Dale Manor has and it's got like, one of these items is like, you know, dated 1300 BC or 13,000 BC rather, um, which would predate what, you know, a literalist would think. And this, I heard this mom like telling her like, I don't know why they had to put that on there. She was like, that's not true. And it was just like... So there's like almost this like willful ignorance on the part of both parties. So What I was that voice that she said it in again? <laughs> that was what I would consider to be a Conway, Arkansas. Yeah, okay. I just didn't know where that was they from. They just, just make up stuff. Yeah. But I think it's on both parties at this point. Sorry. I've spent a lot of time in Conway. You're good people there. I didn't say they weren't good yeah. people, but they do sound like you're that. such a and they do you're such a bigot. Um, so we'll have to edit all this out of the podcast. Um, so anybody listening in Conway, we all my all my Conway peeps. Um, so okay, the the last question is this, and this was what I was setting up for right here, David. This was the point. Does your own faith conflict with science? Do you feel like your own faith conflicts with science? And if you feel like it does, I, I, like, I think this is a safe space where you can say that. Insofar as I don't, I don't maybe conflict is not the word, but it's challenged. Like insofar as like I don't have all the answers, so that's, yeah. that's a challenging point for me. Mm. Like very, I like to know, right? Like if like all my eyes are do, you know dotted and t's are crossed. So yeah. if I don't have that, it's like oh man, like there's a hole somewhere that I need to like fill that in with the right answer. Mm. I think that at times, like, it's okay for me to just say, like, I don't know. I don't know, like, how old everything is. I don't know. You know, like, I, I believe where it comes from, and that's that's okay. Yeah. But so. The good thing is that you're in good company and mm-hmm. that you don't know. <laughs> because, like, 
there's no one on the face of this planet, atheist or theist, that can say, like, I know all of the answers, right? Like, we are all kind of in this, like, it, I think sometimes we think as Christians, I think at times in my life I've thought, like, man, I don't know these answers, but there are people out there that have all the answers. And, like, what I've, what I've realized is, like, no, like, no one's got all of the answers, you know? So we're, we are at least can, can take comfort in the fact that we're in good company there. Anyone else? Does your own faith conflict with science? Less than it ever has. Okay. I think that, yeah. So decreasingly so. Decreasingly so. I, I think there are there are parts where I'll read back through the Bible, and then I'm like, man, a lot of this stuff has to be this certain way. Things like the global flood, or just even like characters in the first eleven chapters of Genesis, or you, know, you like read like a Wikipedia page about Abraham, and you're like, oh, most historians believe this wasn't a real character. So you're like, what? Um, so I think there are certain things where it's like difficult, but um, I think a lot of these studies have helped mm. kind of help me understand that there is as much conflict as I would have thought there was. Mm. Does anybody else, do y'all, do y'all, I mean, don't, don't feel like obligated to answer one way or the other. I mean, does... I think my methodology, maybe is the right word, differs in how I approach them and my career is very science-based and that, I think that's how my brain is oriented and sometimes the the scientific method or your approach to religion if you approach it that way um, it can become something else it can become what thing something that it, it's not meant to be mm. Uh, mm. and like you said there there's an aspect of faith that you have to uh, hold on to and so in that way it conflicts but mm. I don't think it's a irresolvable conflict yeah so it's not like it's not like one has to be true one has to be false no one no one feels that way or you probably wouldn't be here and also be like doing what you do for, for a living so um, so it's interesting that you bring that up because the Church of Christ, which is the church that we, we all go to, um, tried to apply the scientific method to theology. And it, it, like I, in my opinion, did, it didn't go so well because it, it turns, it turns your, your, quote, faith into something that, like you said, was never intended to be. That's a whole other lesson. Um, but uh, so I just, I just keep those thoughts uh, on the interaction of faith and science in the back of your mind. Um, how you view uh, the relationship of faith and science as a whole versus your personal experience. So, like what, like what you these precon these these notions of like those first two questions we asked, mainly the first question, like how you view faith and science interacting, do they conflict, and then reflecting back on your own personal experience and if the, if the two are, are, are lining up. Um, right now, I want to jump into. The three predominant thoughts on how science and Christianity interact. So the first is that, that, that science and faith are, in fact, at war with one another. So like the first most, most predominant thought, maybe the, maybe the thought that was, that was predominant, especially like in the 50s, um, 40s and 50s, is that science and faith are at war with one another. So 
if that's the case, has it, has it always been that way? And if not, at what point did it change? So let's just take a look back at, at history and science. This, if you don't like history, this is gonna be extremely boring for you. Um, but uh, just look at uh, Copernicus. He died in 1543. He was uh, the astronomer that gave the first mathematical evidence that planets revolved around the sun. So he was a theist, he, he believed in God and he sometimes referred to God in his work. So he didn't see his system of planetary movement as being in conflict with the Bible, okay? Um, so Francis Bacon, um, that's the second Bacon reference of the night if you weren't paying attention. Um, you can never have too many Bacon references. Uh, but Bacon was, he was a philosopher who introduced the scientific method of inquiry based on exper experimentation and inductive reasoning. So he said that his goals were this, the, the discovery of truth service to his country and service to the church so like that's you know like this is a this is a guy who's a scientist he's like man i want to serve the church you know so listen to what bacon says about faith he says it is true that a little philosophy inclineth man's mind to atheism but depth and philosophy bringeth men's minds about to religion for while the man mind of man looketh up second causes scattered it may sometimes rest in them and go no further but when it beholdeth the chain of them confederate and linked together, it must needs fly to providence and deity. So, and I don't know if you guys are up to date on your old English, but in other words, when you look at the universe as a whole and you begin to think about what's causing all this, and not only, not only what's causing all this, but also what's holding it all together, you can't help but think about God. Like, like on the surface, you're like, okay, yeah, I mean, you know, the God, God's not real. But then you, you think deeply, and, man, it's hard not to go there in your mind. Um, Galileo, uh, referenced in a Queen song you may have heard, uh, his, his situation is unique because he was definitely at odds with the Catholic Church, and you mentioned that a little bit. Um, but he didn't view his work at being at, as being at odds with his faith. So he may, uh, he may have been at odds with the church at the time, but he didn't view his work as being at odds with his faith. In fact, he fully believed in biblical inerrancy, and he didn't believe his planetary model contradicted the Bible's teachings. So he knew science, and he knew his Bible, right? So the list goes on. Blaise Pascal, uh, Isaac Newton, Robert Boyle, Michael Faraday, Gregor Mendel, Kelvin, Max Planck, these men are all pillars of science, and they were all theists. In fact, for many of them, their last name, like you use this stuff in like Gen Chem 2, and, and, and you know, we, we've used these names over and over and over again, right, when we were learning. And um, so, so think about just, just for a second the irony of that, right? So a physicist who claims that science and faith are at odds with one another uses units of measurement that are literally named after like God-fearing men, you know? Like that's that's pretty cool. Like like the, there's so much rich history there. Many who believed in God who were like they had that curiosity that I was talking about that Miss Vickers instilled in us. They had that curiosity about man, how does the world work? But they believed in God also. So science didn't start out at odds with religion. It didn't begin that way. In fact, it was quite the opposite. William Lane Craig says this isn't something that gained steam until the early 20th century after. The president of Cornell University, Andrew Dixon White, published a book entitled A History of the Warfare of Science with Theology in Christendom. So Craig says this, he says, the culturally dominant view in the West, even amongst Christians, came to be that science and Christianity are not allies in the search for truth, but adversaries. 
So you think about how that changes things. And you think about like that one moment in time, how, how like people just like, it went viral. This is before social media, right? But like that, like you get something started and if enough people start believing it, then it becomes, it becomes mainstream. So for, for roughly 300 years, modern science and faith were closely aligned. Then in the early 1900s, a perceived war between the two began. But the, the cool thing, and the good thing, I think, is that this war didn't last long, relatively. So Pew Research, and this comes back to the questions we asked earlier, but Pew Research released a study on this within the past couple of years, and listen to what they found. They said that 59% of respondents think science and religion are often not, I'm sorry, are often in conflict, so 59%, while 38% find them mostly compatible. So you might be thinking, well, that's almost 60%. That's a pretty, that's a pretty large number that still perceive this feud between science and religion. So that's why if you're, if you're reading like statistical studies, like it's important that you read like the, 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 the right questions are being asked. So if you dig a little deeper, you see that only 30% of respondents say their personal faith conflicts with science. So Pew summarized it this way. They said people's sense that there, that there generally is a conflict between religion and science seems to have less to do with their own religious beliefs than it does with their perceptions of other people's beliefs. Beliefs. So why would our perception not match reality? Why would, why would that be? Did you say fake news? Is that, is we, did I hear you say that? <laughs> David, you're always talking about fake news, man. What's up with you, dude? Uh, so I think our perception comes from the information that re that we receive, right? I mean, it truly, like all jokes aside, it is like it's false information. So if we're, our, we perceive things based on the information that we receive, how could we perceive it based on anything else, right? And so what if rather than being with people in my community, and having a pretty good pulse on how people think, because I'm with people all the time, I get most of my information from like a two and a half by five inch screen, right? I'm just like glued to the screen all the time. I'm reading all these things, and that's where I get most of my information for how I view the world. So is it possible, I'm simply asking the question, that like phones are providing us with this false sense of reality? Like, is that possible? I mean, you know, like on one hand, the world is completely collapsing every moment. Every, every moment, could, it could be the last, that, that last point at which the world totally falls apart. Which, which uh, social media platform is that? Facebook. Facebook, yeah, that's Facebook, right, right. And then on the other hand, my life is awesome, which, which it's Instagram, right? Isn't that, isn't that funny? Like, you've got two different social media platforms, and one, the world is like totally collapsing and everything's horrible. And then on the other, like everything is like beautiful and perfect. It's so funny. And neither one are, are true, right? So that's an entirely different lesson, which, which is a really good lesson, I think. But the point is, statistically speaking, there is a, there is a perceived war, but there is no real war b between science and faith. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that we're operating on just bad information, you know. Um, so now we go back to our answers on the questions and we think, well, does, that, does, Pew's, Pew, does the Pew research line up with kind of what we were talking about? And I, I think it kind of does. Like, like we, there's this perceived 
notion that that like science and faith can't coexist but they, like in our own lives they they are now it is a challenge right it's not easy like there are certain questions that are left unanswered that we're still searching for some questions are being answered like you said it's less of an issue for you than it was in the past so it's a challenge but it's not like the two can't can't live in harmony together because they do um so across all demographics pew research didn't find this perceived conflict between science and faith to be real for most people, which I found I thought was interesting. So realizing that the war between science and religion is all but over, there had to be some new way to, to drive a wedge between science and religion. So a new interaction between the two is proposed, which is that they are mutually irrelevant. So it's like, like okay, well, the war's over, guys. We, you know, no more war. But now we'll just say that like they just don't address one another. Like they don't have anything to do with one another. So you often hear this: science deals with facts, religion deals with opinion. Yeah, feeling, opinion. Um, so the point the point that's being made is that the two don't overlap. So William Lane Craig says that this is a gross uh, caricature of both science and religion. As science probes the universe, she encounters problems and questions which are philosophical in character and therefore cannot be resolved scientifically, but which can be illuminated by a theological perspective. By the same token, it is simply false that religion makes no factual claims about the world. The world religions make various and conflicting claims about the origin and nature of the universe and humanity, and they cannot all be true. That's huge. They cannot all be true. Like you can't say that. Like we can't use science to like interject in discussions of religion, right? They can't all be true. Science and religion are thus like two circles which intersect or par partially overlap. It is in this area of intersection that the dialogue takes place, which I think is great. The two are not the same thing, but they do overlap. And truly, that's what's been happening for the last 25 years or so. There's this increased dialogue on how faith and science interact. I think it's a cool time to be a Christian. We talk about this all the time. Like, man, we, like I feel, we got, like I've got a lot of wind at my back as a Christian. I really feel that way. And, um, and, and I think there's so much to offer the world right now. We live in such a unique time where people are searching for something and they want good news. But there's so much that gets in the way of people being able to hear the good news. Like, there's so much noise that, that, like, that clouds uh, their ability to, to, to hear it all. So the advent, I, I think the advent of the Internet has created this kind of explosion of dialogue. And some of it's not good, right? You've seen the Facebook discussions. Like some, of, some of it is not fruitful, but a lot of it has been fruitful. Um, a lot of it, especially in certain types of forums, I think has really, really been helpful. Um, so people are talking about faith and science and, and what they mean for each other in a way that maybe has never happened in the history of the world. So listen to what the prominent British phys physicist uh, P.T. Landsberg said about it. He said, to talk about the implications of, of science for theology at a scientific meeting seems to break a taboo. But those who, who think so are out of date. During the last 15 years, this taboo has been removed. And in talking about the interaction of science and theology, I am actually moving with a tide. So this is like a, a, a very prominent uh, physicist in, in Britain who's, who's just saying like, the, like, we're having this discussion and there is a tide moving. Like I'm, I'm, I'm moving in the right direction. And so the point is, in, uh, the days in which science and faith were not permitted to interact are, are, are over. 
like those days are there's that guy, people are like you like uh like uh who was it that just recently died uh hawking uh Stephen hawking died, just recently died like that guy spoke about religion a lot a whole lot right he probably spent more time talking about that than he did science and it, and it started with our understanding this whole thing started with our understanding that the universe has a beginning like this is when things I think started to change for the discussion that, that when when at the point at which we realized that the universe has a beginning and this is the one thing that scientists uh, the one thing that scientists cannot answer is how something comes from nothing scientists cannot explain how something that began to exist was caused they can't explain that but philosophy and religion can. So we believe that the universe began to exist, was caused by God who never began to exist. That's what we believe. He was and he is and he is to come. That's what we already believed before we even knew that the, 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 the before any of the science came out that said that the universe has a beginning. We already believed this. So it lines up perfectly. And that brings us to the third predominant thought concerning science and religion is that they are not in, in, in conflict and that they are very relevant to one another. And I think that's kind of where, I mean, that's where I lie. Um, that's not where I've always been, you know? I think there was a time where I was afraid to like delve in too deeply because I was afraid of what I might find. And I was truly afraid, like if I, if I found something that did cause me to believe that, that, that what I believed was not true. Uh, I, I was thinking about the implications for my life, and I was like, "Man, you know, I, like my parent. What's how, how does this affect my relationship with my parents? How does this affect my relationship with my wife? Or like, how, what, how will I raise my kids? Like all of these things that I had, had planned out in my mind, it caused me to be a little bit of. Uh, I was a little bit afraid to to kind of delve too deeply, but as I did, what I realized is that the two are not in conflict with one another. Is it difficult? Yes. Are there questions left unanswered? Yes. But I, 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 I forget what you said earlier about, you were talking about how, did you, I think you just said very simply, things just work better when, when the, with the two uh, together. I forget how you, how you said it exactly. But, um, but Craig talks about this, and he says that there are six ways in which science and religion serve as allies in the quest for truth. So six ways in which science and religion are not opposed to one another, but in fact are allies and work together. So the first is that religion provides a conceptual framework in which science can flourish. So the late science writer, Lauren Isley, wrote that science is an invented cultural institution which, which, which requires a unique soil in order to flourish. He said, in contrast, to pantheistic or animistic religions, Christianity does not view the world as divine or as indwelt by spirits, but rather, very simply, as the natural product of a transcendent creator who designed and brought it into being. Thus, the world is a rational place in which, which is open to exploration and discovery. That's exciting. Like That fires me up, right? Because it falls right in line with what I already believe. So in other words, that unique soil is the belief that the universe is orderly. Like it's orderly because it was created by a God who is orderly. It's rational because it, it was created by a God who is, is rational. Like creation just reflects the creator, right? And so without presupposing this, if we did not presuppose this, 
we would have no reason to trust our own cognitive faculties. Like if we didn't already trust and believe that we that everything that we see was created by a rational and orderly being, we'd have no reason to trust our own cognitive faculties. This could all be an illusion. Like we could all be living in the matrix, right? I rewatched that the other day. It was a great movie. Um, the whole thing could be an illusion. We would have no reason to trust our cognitive faculties. We would also have no way of applying objective moral values in science. And I think this is huge. Um, a world in which science and religion do not overlap overlap will be a world in which there is no real difference between fetal pigs and fetal humans. Mm -hmm. I sent David an article the other day about this guy who wants to uh, create a human Z. Have y'all seen this? I read the article. It's, 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 it's so interesting. You, yes. And you say preposterous, but like, man, that is not like, that's just a hop, skip, and a jump from where we are right now. Mm -hmm. Like, it, like, truthfully, rationally, rationally it makes a ton of sense without god like if there is no god then why not like why not there is no difference between fetal pigs and fetal humans if you're being honest if you're being intellectually honest so interestingly enough there are a number of people who hold this view right people hold this view but why stop there like in, in a world in which all there is is matter and energy why would we be obligated to adhere to any moral standard when it comes to science like, could we judge Hitler for performing tests in the name of science on eight-year-old twin Jewish, Jewish girls? Like, I would have no reason, like, how you do no, you don't do that. Don't do that. We'd have no reason to say that. So, moving on, um, the second way, Craig says, in which science and religion serve as allies is that science can both falsify and verify claims of religions. So, we know this to be true. So we know that Atlas isn't like holding the world on his shoulders, right? Uh, have we proven that by now? That Atlas isn't holding the world on his shoulders. We know that the universe isn't eternal, as some religions have claimed. And we also know that the universe did um, come out of nothing, which upholds what the Bible says about creation, that God spoke it and it happened. And we know these things. Science either, either, either tears down or upholds certain religious claims. So bring, that brings us to the next point that Craig makes, which is that the third way, or the third way that in which science and religion serve as allies is that science encounters metaphysical problems which religion can help to solve. So science always works backwards, right? Um, my kids, they watch this animal show called Wildcrats. Anybody else's kids watch that? Yep, they watch it. It's, it my son, Cohen's obsessed. It's hilarious. Um, but they're always asking in Wildcrats, like, you know, why does this happen? You know, why do worms come out of the ground when it rains? Uh, why do Tasmanian devils make that weird growling noise? And which is interesting. Um, and and there's always some cause. Like this is what science. The question. The questions are always like, what causes this? The cause. There's always some cause that leads to the effect. So we see the effect and we work backwards and find out the cause. So the great problem of science is that we eventually we reach the question of, of why does anything exist at all? Like why does, why does the universe exist, right? Again, religion helps solve questions that are left unanswered by science. You know, we believe that, that, in, that, that the whole universe exists to, to display God's glory. And then we participate in that by being in relationship with Him. And like that's... That sounds pretty good to me. Like that sounds like that. There's a lot of meaning attached to that that I that I think is good. So we have an answer for for why the universe exists. Craig's fourth fourth point is that religion can help adjudicate 
between scientific theories. So I'm not going to get into this too much, but the point is that when two empirically equivalent theories exist, so all other information, all information is equal, philosophical religious presuppositions may give us insight into which theory is right or correct. So in other words, if one scientific theory creates philosophical problems and one doesn't, this leads us to be inclined to accept the theory that is consistent between science and philosophy of religion. So, so religion can help adjudicate between scientific theories. Craig's fifth point is that religion can augment the explanatory power of science. I don't have time to get into this too, too deeply either, um, but one of the great unanswered questions in science is how cellular systems like cilia exist. Have y'all talked about that? Did y'all talk about that ever in, in your classes? Um, so like, they could never evolve due to natural selection because every part of the cilia is necessary for it to exist at all. Like it's either an all or none thing. So it, it couldn't develop one part and then add some part that makes it function better. The cilia just is or it isn't. So like we can't explain it. And since we, since we know that it is, the question becomes like, how did it get there, right? If it didn't like evolve into this, into this thing we call the cilia, well, how did that get there? Isn't that strange? How did that happen? Well, religion may help to explain this. Uh, Craig's sixth and final point um, in, in how science and religion are allies is that science can establish a premise and an argument for a conclusion having religious significance. So a great example of this is the Kalam cosmo cosmological argument. Have y'all gone over this? Yeah. yeah. So uh, David's probably spoke on this. Um, it, it just says very simply, whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist, which we all agree on. Uh, therefore, the universe has a cause. So science provides the premise in this argument about the cause of the universe. So in religion, we use science to create this premise and this argument. So that, that premise is that the universe began to exist, which is universally accepted by scientists everywhere. We call it the Big Bang. And so we see that science upholds the philosophical religious argument that the universe has a cause. So we, we, we're saying, yeah, we, we believe the universe has a cause. We also believe that the universe began to exist. So we, we use that as a premise in, that, in the Kalam argument. Um, so I just want to finish with this because that, I just you said a lot of words there. And um, again, it's not like super riveting. Um, I think it's probably more interesting. I taught this in Bridge Builders class and it was a total flop. It was horrible um, because most people, I don't think, just really care that much, you know, <laughs> about this. Uh, but I think, you know, you guys are scientific people already. Um, and I, I just want to say this, like the information in this lesson isn't, it's not necessarily for everybody. It's not for everybody and not everybody is going to be like really drawn to, to this. And that's just the truth. Um, it's not the gospel. It's not particularly good news. I'm out, you know, I don't, I mean, it's just kind of, it's just kind of like news, you know, but it's not like something that like <laughs> is not inspiring. I don't think it's not fake news. It's not fake news, but it's not inspiring. It doesn't like, there's nothing really emotional about it. It's, and again, like I said, it's not, it's not the gospel. But what it does do is that it tears down barriers to the good news. And I, I think that is the key. Like, why is it, why are we talking about this? I mean, I, 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 every time we talk about stuff like this, I know that there are people 
like in our class, for instance, or, or there are times when I've talked about this, even at home, and my, and my wife's like, shut up, man. Like, you know, it's like, <laughs> but like the reason it's important is because it does tear down barriers to the gospel. And so, and that matters. If we love people, we care about people, I want to tear down every barrier to the good news that's out there. I don't care what it is, whether it's like sex or materialism or whatever it is. Like, let's tear it down so that people can see the good news of Jesus, which is that he created them and loved them and wants to be with them forever. So there are people who think that Christianity and science are at odds. And, and when given the choice, they're going to choose science. There are some people that, are, that believe that they're at odds, and when given the choice, they'll choose science, which is sad because science and faith are not at odds. Mm-hmm. So it's sad because you're, you're choosing. It's a false dichotomy, right? It's a, you're choosing something that you don't have to choose between, yet people do because they're believing something that's not true. So William, William Lane Craig um, calls everything that we did today pre-evangelism. So before you can get to the good news of the death and resurrection of Christ, uh, you must. There must sometimes be a little work done on the front end, right? Like you gotta like, you really gotta like make sure your your flower beds are really weeded well and and, and prepared to be able to accept those seeds that you plant. Um, otherwise, you're just throwing your seeds out in vain. It doesn't, you know, you're just throwing them out there and they're just being trampled on, you know. So yeah, we really gotta do a lot more cultivation on the front end, I think, than maybe we did a hundred years ago, because a lot of the presuppositions are no longer there. Tim Keller says that we live in an age where we can no longer simply connect the dots. I love this. He says we don't live in an age where we can, we can connect the dots. He said we first have to show people that the dots exist. <laughs> Think about that. That's where we are. We've got to show people. Like, we have to explain what a dot is. Sin, people don't even like, know what that is. Like, they don't even know... I mean, people, I mean, they think they do, you know, some people, yes, sin, that means I'm a bad person, but like, not really what it means, you know? And so we have to explain or show people that the dots exist, and then we can connect the dots. And so hopefully what tonight is about is at least showing that the dots exist. And hopefully there's some value in, in this to pre-evangelize. And you're not going to know all the answers. I mean, there's a lot, a lot of questions that I still, I mean, you're always going to have questions. And this idea that, like, everything can be figured out, it's, I mean, you're, you know, faith's got to come in at some point, right? And, um, and so, um, not the gospel, not particularly, like, you know, let's all get fired up. But I, but I do hope that tonight um, serves to, to, to allow. All right, thank you, Grant, for doing a wonderful job there with a discussion on faith and science. We only have five more uh, nights left with this entire year. So this has been the first year of doing this MDDDS study, and really it's gone amazing. And so if you've uh, come and visited with us, thanks for doing that. And if you've not, you've just kind of been out there listening here and there, that's cool too. So hopefully this has been a good resource to you. And if it has, I would love it if you'd reach out to me and let me know, Kyle Fagala on Facebook. If you'll just kind of send me a message and say, hey, I've listened to some of these podcasts and I love them or I hate them (laughs) or I'm not sure what I think about them. Uh, Just any feedback at all just to let us know that you're listening, that'd be great. We can see the listen count, so somebody's out there listening. Um, But man, it would just mean a lot to us if if we kind of knew that and uh, 
hopefully it's meant a lot to you. So next week we'll be back with our last lesson in our apologetics series, and that is going to be on historical evidences for the resurrection of Jesus. And so this past Sunday, yesterday, was actually Resurrection uh, Sunday, so it was Easter. And uh, so we're just a week off, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about that next week. Really, really great stuff. And I think a simple statement about that is, is that the things that we read about in history books, the things that we take as truth about Alexander the Great and characters like that, there's actually more historical evidence for Jesus and who he was and who he says he was and the resurrection of that man uh, than you could even say the historical evidence for something like Alexander the Great. And so uh, I think a lot of us take you know, Jesus and his resurrection. Uh, well, there's no historical basis for that. That's just what Christians say they believe. But there's, in fact, a lot of really great evidence for that. And so I look forward to studying that with you. One of my favorite lessons, and I hope that you'll tune in or come visit us. We'll be back. It'll be Monday night, 7 o'clock. It will probably be back at my house. There'll be more information on Facebook about that. Hope you've had a wonderful week. We had some really, really great discussion following our lesson. And so if you're ever able to come, that's really where I think the magic happens is in the discussion. So I will leave you with that uh, for this week, and we will see you next week. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.